As you're coming in, there's a handout up here. There's a handout at the front seat. Be grabbing one of those. This will help us as we go through hospitality and Luke Acts. Essentially, Luke Acts is, is kind of what New Testament scholars call uh, the, the two-part gospel history book of the gospel according to Luke and then the Acts of the Apostles. It's kind of funny a lot of times <laughs> the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then they used to be kind of the gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then, but it's really, I mean, they were really, well, they weren't written with titles, but they were given the titles, the gospel according to Luke. It's not Luke's gospel, it's the gospel according to him. So he's writing it, um, and then Acts is kind of Luke 2, Luke 2.0, the second part of it. It picks right back up where Luke finishes. Luke is the author of Acts as well. And, well, not right back up, but they're essentially. And Jesus ascends even in Acts, the first few chapters. And some of the same themes continue through the Gospel of Luke into the Acts of the Apostles. And particularly, we're going to be talking about hospitality. This definitely doesn't describe all of Luke's Gospel, but... It is probably one of the necessary themes in it. Again, this doesn't describe all of it, but you probably can't get all of it without maybe having some aspect of this theme. Specifically, Jesus' meals um, and divine hospitality through meals. And I think hospitality is not only an important thing in this gospel, but an important thing in our lives and our society. An interesting story, in the summer of 1995, Chicago experienced the deadliest heat wave in American history. It was 97 degrees, which is not insanely hot, but maybe for Chicago. But the thing is, 739 people died in this summer. And the crazy thing is, most people, most of those 739 people, died alone. There's a lot of old people that died during their sleep even. And this is not to blame the old people. This is really not to blame anybody, but I think it does point out an interesting aspect of American society. They died because they didn't want to open their windows. And I, I'm not saying, like, don't think of safety because they didn't, they didn't want people breaking in kind of thing, but they didn't want to open their windows and their AC wouldn't really work. So with closed windows, they just, they just died. Again, I'm not trying to say the old people should have just like trusted all the people, no matter what, without regard, but I think it does point to the fact that we oftentimes don't know our neighbors. We're scared of the people who live next to us and in our neighborhoods. And Americans are alone a lot of time. There's even a book that came out about this from not a theological standpoint at all. It's called Bowling Alone. It's really how like bowling clubs and leagues have faded out of existence, pretty much. And people bowl alone. Something that used to be a cooperative sport is now almost a, a single thing. So this is a phenomenon in America. What do we think of 
when we normally think of hospitality? Food? Okay. Any other things? Hospitality? A bed? Okay. Okay. So maybe a bed and breakfast. Any other things? Hospitality. What does that make you think of? Okay. What does most of America think when you think of hospitality? When they think of hospitality, we got to remember we're not average. Okay, just by even be a virtue of being Christian. Yeah, what do Americans think? Hotel. Hotel. Yeah. Exactly. I googled hospitality. The word hospitality, not hospitality industry. Hospitality. Googled image. Imaged. There were, I went through 200 pictures. I counted 200 pictures. <laughs> I was interested. One, I'm serious, one of them was of an actual home, an actual dining room with people in normal clothes. The others were blazers and name tags answering cell phones behind a desk. It was hotels. It was in every like link said like industry or management degree or this industry or ho learn how to be a hotel concierge, learn hospitality management. 200 pictures. And one of them was like people hanging out, but then I looked in the background and it was totally like a restaurant or like a hotel. Yeah, one picture was of a home. So if that Google search is any indication of what people think about hospitality, it's, it's some kind of exchange. Because you think about hotels, it's not like, hey, anybody's welcome. Well, insofar as you can pay, insofar as you can travel. So hospitality, at least in the American mind, you have to give something in order to get or be able to do something. It's not really they come out and get you and help you and, uh, or just welcome anybody at, at, at anything. And hospitality, I guess just a brief story of hospitality in my life. Uh, maybe you can relate, maybe not. But I remember pretty much growing up in my parents' home, pretty much the only people that came in were either my like childhood friends or relatives. And I'm not trying to bag on my parents. I think it's quite normal. And we had a ton of kids coming over to our home, and I think that's even an aspect of hospitality, but it was really never anyone from church, and even more than that, it was never a stranger. And then in high school, a guy named Brett Riddles, he was my Sunday school teacher, invited me over. Really, he was like, come over anytime. <laughs> what? It was super weird. And I took him up on that offer, and we started hanging out. So me, 18-year-old, hanging out with this 35-year-old, and we became really good friends. And he has four kids and a wife and works, and we became really good friends. I was even at his house yesterday for his, his 40th birthday. And I think God used that opportunity of him having me in his home God used that to, to change me, to, to learn about him, to grow to love God more. And then Jeremy, obviously a dude that lives and breathes radically ordinary hospitality, 
just living with him. And then things like snap at the atoms. So hospitality is, is an important part of my life. Especially, especially my Christian life, which, you know, you can't separate this two. But as it relates to me growing in Christ, hospitality, it has to be in that story. So, in the Gospel of Luke, we're just going to run through some of these verses quite quickly, just to show this thing. We're not going to camp out too long for time's sake and for conversation's sake. But I have them listed out. You can look them up if you want. I'm really not going to turn to them. Maybe one of these classes will do like a more like in-depth exegesis kind of thing. But really, I'm just trying to show themes in these books so we can learn something about the book and talk about it. I don't even have this text listed up there, but Luke 4, 8 through 19, is his favorite, his, he comes to Nazareth, and that's the one where he's in the synagogue, and he takes the scroll, and he reads it. Well, it's actually from, it's, it's from two different places, from Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58, and it's the day he says, today this scripture is fulfilled, and he sits down. And people are like, how's it fulfilled? Um, well, it says this is the year of the Lord's favor. But that word, can, favor, Lord's favor, can actually be translated also. I guess the realm, the range of meaning for favor also can include welcome. This is the year of the Lord's welcome. And then one of those texts he quotes is from Isaiah 58. And it actually says, to give release to the oppressed. So Jesus opens his ministry with even saying that this is, this is through him, the Lord's welcome to captives and poor are, are coming. So then the first text I have listed on, on your handout is, is Luke 5, 27 through 32, and that's Levi's feast. Levi, a tax collector, has a lot of people over. But the interesting thing is, Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors, and the Pharisees and scribes ridicule him for this. And later on, they will, they, it will be, become clear that they ridicule him this, for this in, in Luke 15. But he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Luke 7, 36 through 50, says a sinful woman is forgiven. Well, really... A Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee, had Jesus over to his house. But the main part of the story, the main part of the welcome, so it's interesting, Jesus was both a guest and a host simultaneously. Jesus obviously didn't have a home, so he's a guest at this Simon the Pharisee's house. Interestingly, he's even eating with the guys who are ridiculing him. So he's not only eating with tax collectors and the sinners, but he's eating with even Pharisees, even giving them a chance to repent and love him, and turn to him, and receive the good news. But the interesting thing, a woman comes here, and Simon starts ridiculing him. He's like, okay, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, he, he wouldn't, he's, he's obviously not a prophet, because he wouldn't be letting this woman touch his feet um, at, at a dinner. She, she is a sinner. And then Jesus basically gives a parable says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other owed 50, and he canceled the debts. Which one loved him more? The one who was forgiven a little bit or a lot? 
and obviously it's the one who is forgiven a lot. And he says, this, man, this woman understands that she's been forgiven a lot. So it's interesting that Jesus, even while at showing acceptance and welcome to a Pharisee's house, well, in his house, also welcomes a sinful woman, which would have been doubly kind of like a no-no. Why do you think that? Why a sinful woman? Why is that maybe like weird for Jesus to eat with her? Jesus is not a sinner. Any other aspects? She's a woman. And that would have kind of been a taboo. Maybe not even a taboo. Maybe just like a, a, a don't do it all. So yeah, he's eating with women. Not in any kind of provocative way, obviously. But yeah, Jesus is eating with all kinds of people. And then we're going to zoom in to the uh, feeding of the 5,000. This is in Luke 9. Basically, the reti- the Jesus and the apostles are returning to, uh, yeah, he, returning to Bethsaida. And the crowds learned it, and they followed him, and he welcomed them. And he spoke to them of the kingdom of God. And he, he even cured those who need healing. And we even see here before he's even, the, the way this, the feeding of the 5,000, we all know that story, that he takes a few fish and a few loaves and makes them enough for 5,000 people. The way that sets it up, at least Luke sets it up, is when the crowds came, he welcomed them. Verse 11, 9, 11. He welcomed them, and he even healed them. And these were presumably unclean people that needed healing. They would have been unclean according to Levitical law. But Jesus spends time with them. So how do you think this what does this say about the gospel? What is Jesus eating with all kinds of people and welcoming them and feeding them? What does that say about the gospel? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point. Um, I think it sounds like you're getting at even the means by which 
we proclaim the gospel matters. You've kind of heard the thing, the message, the, the means are the message. The way, the way you communicate something in itself communicates something. And it doesn't make much sense for us to communicate the message of the gospel, which is pretty much all about God forgiving our sin, justifying us when we didn't deserve it, giving us redemption when we were enslaved, reconciling us when we were far away. It doesn't make sense to, to preach the message of grace and mercy in a way that's ungracious and not merciful. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great point. And then Luke 15. Maybe Tim can get up here and teach this. But um, Luke 15 is the parables about the lost sheep the lost coin, and the lost son, or the prodigal son. Even culture, there's TV shows, there's movies that reference this. It's, it's, it's all over culture. But really, if you look at Luke 15, it's interesting how it starts out. Luke 15, 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So it's like one of Jesus' most popular parables comes in the context of him receiving sinners and eating with them. This receiving sinners, again, I think can include the meaning you know, words have a certain range of meaning. I think this can also mean receives, uh, extends welcome to, obviously in a hospitable way. He's not only receiving them and hanging out with them and teaching the gospel, he is doing that. And I'm not trying to equate the gospel with eating a meal. That's, that's not what Jesus is doing. That's not what I'm trying to say. But he does, he extends his love and welcome to them by being with them, and, and it clearly says eating with them. And after this, Jesus gives a parable on the rich man and Lazarus. This is Luke 16, 19 through 31. Again, I'm not expecting you to turn here. We're just kind of flying through these. But basically, he's responding to the Pharisees who love money. And he's given this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. This rich man, ironically, who's not even named in the parable... Lazarus, the poor man who is named. This rich man saw Lazarus every day outside of this rich man's gate. I mean, he's got a gate. You know he's just he's rolling in it. And every day, Lazarus is just chilling there. And this is the part where it's like the dogs would lick his wounds and stuff like that. So Lazarus is just beaten up, poor, and he's right by the rich man's gate. He sees him constantly, but he doesn't do anything. And at the end of their life, at the end of their life, Lazarus is with Abraham, being comforted, and the rich man is in torment. And the rich man calls out after death, Abraham, help me out. I can see Lazarus up there. If he could just give me one taste of water, I'd, I'd be all right. And Abraham's like, dude, yo, there's like huge chasm between us. You're dead. It's too late for that. He's like, oh, okay, well, 
Send Lazarus back to tell my, my other rich friends and my brothers and sisters, and like the other people, to warn them because I don't want them to be here. And he's like, they, they're not going to believe. They're not going to believe Lazarus if someone comes back from even the dead, alluding to Jesus' death and resurrection. He's talking about the hard-hearted Pharisees who love money. Again, this is not saying that all poor people go to heaven and all rich people go to hell. This, I don't think this is what they're saying, but... Um, but it is saying the one who receives Jesus has to have him as king. And you look what the king did. He received people. He loved people. He cared for people. Since, since Jesus is our king and money is not, we ought to realize that it, 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 <laughs> it's, it's almost of no value in comparison to Jesus. So this rich man was not hospitable. Again, this is not works salvation, but I think Jesus is just trying to make the point that if you don't have him, you're, you're not going to be with him in eternity. And anybody that has him ought to live this kind of life. And then again, Zacchaeus, famous Sunday school story we've heard. Uh, he was a wee little man. He got up in a tree to see Jesus. We all know that story, right? Maybe you don't. I don't know. <laughs> but Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He was, a, he was the chief tax collector. I mean, this guy is pretty much, like, he's in cahoots with the Romans. He's like a bad guy. And he wants to see Jesus. And Jesus goes to him and says, hey, I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus accepts him and brings him in and feeds him and, and pretty much confesses his wrong, realizes he's done people wrong, and he's like, Jesus, I'll, I'll pay back all this stuff. And then that's, that's where Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And I think one way he did this was by even spending time with the chief tax collector. And then the Lord's Supper, where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples. He says, his body and blood are given so they may be pretty much the ransom for the disciples' forgiveness. And the institution of the new covenant, of a new heart and new forgiveness in Jesus. This is what's happening at the Lord's Supper. And the way he brings this new covenant of God, the kingdom of God, is, is by dying. And, and, and resurrecting. And this is, this is all what's kind of surrounding the Lord's Supper. This is where we experience divine welcome. When we come up and take the Lord's Supper, we are being invited and welcomed at a meal to accept and receive God's hospitality towards us in Jesus Christ. And you think about how that happened. It happened by blood and, and, um, and body. Is the cup and the bread. This doesn't happen by just willy-nilly God being, okay, cool. Divine hospitality towards us happened through the shedding of the second person of the Trinity. Jesus died for us so that we could be welcomed into God's family. And then the last one is the road to Emmaus. This is Luke 24. 
Essentially, Jesus is resurrected, and he's walking with two dudes who were his disciples, probably not one of the twelve. Um, well, definitely one of them is not the twelve. We're only told his name. But he's walking with these dudes, and they don't even recognize him. And basically, Jesus is like, yeah, i got to keep going. They're like, hey, it's late. Come, come stay with us and eat with us. And there's a lot that goes on in that story. But I think what I want to point out is when they were eating bread, he, it says in 2430, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Does that sound familiar? Where have you heard that before, maybe? Lord's Supper. And even in the feeding of the 5,000. He blessed it. He looked up to heaven and blessed it. Thank God. He broke it and he divided it among them. So I think the story, that's why I have a closer look at the, the 5,000, the Lord's Supper, and the Emmaus Road. And it's interesting. In each of those, he blesses it and breaks it and he gives it to these people. And then they realize who he was on the Emmaus Road. They broke it and then they realized this is, that's, that's the resurrected Jesus. Just like in the Lord's Supper. They're, they're coming to an experience of knowing him. So it's interesting that Jesus was known to them in the breaking of bread. It literally says in 2435. Um, then they told what happened on the road and how he was made and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Again, Jesus is sharing himself, revealing himself even, to others through meals. This is consistently, through the Gospel of Luke at least, how, how Jesus brings people in. One scholar says, Jesus is tangibly extending God's friendship to those who in the eyes of others are not righteous, have a low status, and are viewed as unworthy of friendship with God. Friends, that's the gospel. And here's the thing. Are we, are we free of that? Are we those who would expect to be friends with God? No, I mean, divine hospitality has been even extended to us. So how does, what, is, what, is, what do meals, what does hospitality even communicate about the gospel? Flush that out. I'm not looking really for one answer. Yeah. And that's where this whole theology and ethics kind of thing comes in. So why do a lot of times we invite people over? Yeah, it's easy to be around them. We know the people who are weird. We know the people who might be hard. They're picky eaters or whatnot. It's like, ah, oh, they're just going to weird conversations. I'm, I'm going to have them over less or not at all. <laughs> but what does, the gospel, what does the gospel say about that? If God thought that, what, what would happen to us? Yeah, exactly. Everybody knows. <laughs> so everybody speaks up. Yeah. It's humbling. It's humbling. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's why we call the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. 
the euangelion. That's why we're called evangelicals. That's why it comes from evangelical, comes from the word euangelion. It's the good news. And as evangelicals, if we're going to say that name, sometimes it's so tricky about that name because it means a thousand different things. But if we're going to be about that, we have to be about the good news. And the good news is that if it was based on us, God wouldn't have anything to do with me. But what's it based on? What is the gospel based on? Like, why does God invite us? Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, God's want, God's desire, God's love, even. And a lot of times, a lot of us evangelicals, maybe even of the more reformed shade, we like to talk about predestination sometimes, but even in Ephesians, it's like in love, before the creation of the world, he chose you. And in love, he predestined you. This is all based in God's love, nothing we did. And then real quickly, kind of in Luke 2, Acts, there's two sections which essentially say the same thing. It's in, Luke, it's in Acts 2, 42, and then Acts 4, 32. If someone could read Acts 2, 42 through 47. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And at the same time, can someone look up that other text? I have it on the, the handout, Acts 4, 32. Can someone read? Who's got the Acts 2? Okay. Uh, who has X4? 32 to 35? As it pertains, there's a lot of things going on in those passages. There's a lot that we could talk about. But as it pertains maybe to the gospel and the meals type thing, what's, what's going on in those passages? Gospel, what we've been talking about, the gospel going out and meals. 
Okay, yeah, yeah, good. Both the gospel and the meals meeting needs. Anything else? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. They're for sure. They're they're committing themselves to a number of things: the de- teaching of the disciples, breaking of bread, and the prayers. Yeah. Yeah, they're taking care of each other. And the interesting thing is God is adding to their number, especially in the end of that section as 247. So it's not that I think I think this gives warrant to that Christians ought to seek to to care for one another and especially the local church. And we ought to want others to be part of our local church. Like the them, themins, those people, those out there. It can sometimes be dangerous to talk like that. I mean, it's true that that non-Christians are non-Christians, and we should keep that clear. But the thing is, we should always hope that they will become us. That those people out there through the gospel will become a part of who we are as well. I mean, this is kind of the thing. They're taking, the church is taking care of each other. But the, the awesome part is God is adding to their number. And it would be crazy to think if we shouldn't do that because if, if people wouldn't have done that to you and me, we wouldn't be here. If people hadn't shared the gospel. And obviously through Acts, the way the gospel gets spread is the proclamation of the resurrection. The death and resurrection is central in Luke and Acts. As even, as even two said, and Paul is not even on the scene yet, so this is just, this is like Jesus and his disciples, all about the resurrection. One scholar talking about Acts, the church in Acts, is essentially saying Ecclesiology in Acts, which ecclesiology is a big word for study in Acts. It comes from the Greek word means ecclesia means gathering. Ecclesiology in Acts is essentially this quote a way of reasoning and habit of being that makes Christianity a visible human witness to the Lord Jesus Christ in a world that did not know him. And we're in a similar type places, Acts, we're always going to be in a similar type place. There's, there's always people who do not know him. And the church is this visible, tangible community that makes that gospel clear in walk and in talk. Preaching the gospel is definitely and necessarily a proclamation. 
you don't preach the gospel unless you do it with words. And then there's that quote, like, preach the gospel at all times, some do, sometimes do it with words. That's kind of saying, like, feed your neighbor, but sometimes do it with food. Like, it doesn't make sense. You have, to, you have to communicate the gospel. But your life is, is not only helpful, but probably 200 times more persuasive. A life, an authentic life that is changed by the gospel. And perhaps meals is one of those ways. This, this author also says, according, um, according to Acts, ecclesiology is simple, simply the communal form of life that is living in obedience to the Lord of all. It is a form of life that is at once political and theological or public and private. Or to say it only slightly differently, all-encompassing. In the book of Acts, they're, they're proclaiming to kings and political leaders and all types of people and upsetting the, the Greco-Roman world in Acts. Because of who Jesus is, because Jesus is king, that's, that's, a, that's a political statement. Because Jesus is king, that means no one else is. And that changes how we live. He's not just the king of one area of life. It's all-encompassing. And in, in Luke's first writing, what did the king do? He... he ate people. He, he ate with people. He welcomed people. He loved people and received them. And so we can talk about divine hospitality right now. You know, I'm just going to go long and we'll just have a short time between service. It always starts late anyway, but this is important. Why is practicing hospitality difficult? Yeah, it's not only hard to practice it, but it's sometimes hard to even receive it. It's fear of rejection. Yeah. Next question: Why is it hard in America? So many, so many um, beggars and so many um, scams. Yeah. Okay. Weary. Yeah. As weary. A church mainly, you know, I hear a lot of churches say, you know, we'll do this, but we're not going to do this. I can't learn who can, you know. Yeah. Individualistic, weary. It's, it's even easier. It's sometimes hard to do this, but it's, it's easier to do this. It's easier to give money to the person with the cardboard sign. I'm not saying that's easy, but it's easier to do than, than invite people like that into our own. And especially in America, I mean, there's even, I can't remember the law, I should have looked it up. It's like the castle law or something like that. It's essentially like if anybody comes into your house, you kind of have the right to kick them out. And it's like, just even the language of like, this is my castle, this is my home, 
This is where I come after my nine to five and I escape and I watch TV and I just clear my mind and I don't want to be bothered by anybody. And on the weekends, I got to mow and I just don't want anybody in my house. This is my house. We'll hang out at a bar or something. Just don't, just don't bother me. Like maybe this seems crazy to you because we go to Hope Community Church and we all hang out like 8,000 times every week. <laughs> we are weird. We just have to know that, you know. This is great and we all love it. But it's not America. You know that? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I know people that talk like that. Like, we can get dinner at ML Rose, but don't, why do we have to come to my house? It's, 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 it's a real life thing. I've heard words similar to that. Okay, so what is, what is so significant? Like, what is so profound about having someone in your home or being in someone's home over a meal? Transparent, yeah. Okay, how might hospitality, sharing meals with others, I don't mean to bag on like the MROs thing, but you, like, that's obviously sharing a meal, going at a bar, getting a burger, that's, that's still sharing a meal. Um, that's a part of hospitality, not everything. How can we, you, how can us as a church use hospitality, things we're already doing, things we can be doing, to foster evangelism and discipleship? This is kind of a ch an affirmation and a challenge. We do this a lot. We, we do a lot of hospitality a lot. But how can we, what can we do better? Yeah, fellowship, that's a, that's a means of discipleship. Oh, and whoever brought us food in this group or church, thank you, that was nice. Yeah, so even, yeah, a living example, caring for others. You mentioned the church hanging out a lot. 
Yeah, same, same here. I mean, it's, it's convicting in many ways. It's, it's hard. So kind of along with that question, we've talked about it, but the gospel is hospitality. There's a book. It's a provocative title. Saved by Faith and Hospitality. I think what he means is that faith is, in one sense, hospitality. Like, Jesus has extended his welcome and hospitality to you. And that's how you're saved. And, in one sense, we have to receive him into our lives. So, in one sense, I think, I think what he means by hospitality is not that, like, saved by faith and you doing that. But I think what he means is We've essentially been saved because God has extended his hospitality to us. And just like we talked about two weeks ago with the forgiveness in Matthew, in the same way that you've been forgiven, we ought to be a forgiving people. Because we don't have to self-justify. We've been justified by faith. We have essentially nothing to lose. And just like in hospitality, we've been, we've been saved by God because of nothing we've done. And that frees us up to invite the stranger, the poor, the broken, the outcast, the sinner, the people who have uh, social, uh, I can't think of the, the word, but the, the, you know, the outsiders in society, just like the tax collectors and sinners and women in Jesus' day. I don't think they... Yeah, it's like, are they home? Are they not home? They're looking at the ring and ignoring us? Who knows? That's a weird... I don't know them. Well, we are. We got to know that. I agree, but it's like, at some point, like, we would like to, like, meet them and, like, know their names and things, you know. So, anyone has a wisdom on how to get people to answer the door? Well, I don't know if it's wisdom, but it's more like, uh, if you see them outside, and you're out there, go up to them. Yeah. Say, where are your neighbors? Hey, how you doing? Whatever. Like, just take that Yeah. Yeah, getting the reject by that. Yeah, the ring reject. Yeah, hey. Cookie. Yeah. So it's like we shouldn't try and brush away the culture of what is America is to try and get people to you know come to our homes or be, be 
Yeah, you can use those things. Yeah. And just like in my life, God used that as an opportunity. Like, I don't think if I was around Brett, I don't think I'd be who I am today. I don't think I would have loved the gospel like I do. And I think God uses that means to bring it about. God uses means. That, that's clear. So, yeah, if you're interested in this, there's some resources listed. I highly recommend Saved by Faith and Hospitality. Um, Jip is an evangelical. He teaches at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School um, in Chicago. He's a New Testament theologian. So that book really goes through the New Testament carefully and has some really practical examples at the end. If you want to be challenged, not only in theology but also in ethics, read that book. It's less than 200 pages. Um, I mean, he talks about stuff like prison ministries, how to help the poor more, things like that that he's been affected by on a real-life basis. Also, Making Room by Christine Pohl is kind of like a classic in this, this field. It talks about the history of it, talks about theology, and then has practical. That's kind of like a catch-all for this. And then Labrie, if you've ever heard of Francis Schaeffer, that was kind of his ministry. Really just a way to evangelize and defend the faith and philosophize about it by having people in his home. And that's kind of the story there. And then many of you have heard of The Gospel Comes with a House Key by uh, Rosaria Butterfield. Her thing is radically ordinary hospitality. It's not entertainment. It's not Southern hospitality. It's not fancy. It's just radical. It's crazy. But it's ordinary. And it's just inviting people so that they will know the gospel. I'd love to talk with you more about this. Maybe at Snap we can talk, continue this kind of conversation. I wish we could talk for another hour about this. Oh, man, I wish we could do a whole Sunday school on this. But like a soul series. But anyway, let me, let me pray. Thanks for your participation. I hope this was, not only you learned something, understood something, kind of our theme, but also hopefully we help stand under the Lordship of Jesus even more because of the gospel. Let me pray to that end.